1: Thank yeah. you.
2: Hello guys, um, welcome to the next um, episode of the ATP weekly show that we have here. We also have Vans with us today as um special guest who's gonna talk uh, Madrid with us. Of course, some other big picture on Garros stuff as well, but uh, mostly ATP Madrid as usually in these, we are focusing on the reviews, recaps, however you wanna call them. And just to give um, you guys a bit of a clue uh, in terms of like what we're going to be talking about today, uh, last time we met for this i think it was just mario and me on saturday last um last week uh it was just after the well actually the, the week before last last week um it was just after the second round that madrid had finished so like we talked i don't know Alcaraz, through already or something like this of course we can still come back to it but more most likely we are going to be focusing on like third round and above um, so welcome, guys. Mario Vanj, Um John has already played the match point, uh, the match point from the final for us. So maybe let's start there, right? Like, what 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 have you learned about Carlos Alcaraz in Madrid this week? What have you we learned um, about him also in terms of his Rangaro's chances? Has anything changed in your per, you know perception of him and yeah his opportunities the the rest of the clay season?
0: Okay, yeah, I guess I'll go first. But um, what I was saying is I think I learned more about Jan-Leonard Struf than I did actually Alcaraz. (laughs) And what I mean by that is uh, I knew that Jan-Leonard was capable of great tennis, obviously, having been uh, to the final of Munich a couple of years ago and made the fourth round at Roland Garros, has pulled off some great scalps on grass and clay against top players. But uh, I certainly did not expect him to bring such a high level for such a sustained period of time against against Alcaraz, and in many ways, he kind of um, played a very good match, I would say, tactically, in terms of forcing Alcaraz to adjust and play the style of tennis that uh, he uh, he needed to find a lot of different solutions, especially um, the first couple of – the first set uh, – second set itself, Alcaraz never really felt comfortable until he got the break in the third, and so I felt like um, – but just in terms of Alcaraz, I think his – I still make him the favorite for Roland Garros until further notice, until we see sort of what Djokovic does in in Rome, I think. I think it's a more important week for Djokovic in Rome than it probably is for Alcaraz. Because, yeah, I mean, Alcaraz has proven that he's more or less a contender. Another question is just uh, if he can, if there's someone else at the field that can stop him potentially other than healthy Nadal, healthy Djokovic uh, in Paris...
1: Okay, now, uh, I don't know, can you hear me right? Yeah, yeah, Okay. we can. can. Um, No, well, uh, I mean, it's really been, I think, a very entertaining final, uh, even because credits to also Struff, because he he really played a very good final, also after having had uh, two very tough weeks, starting from qualifying, playing a lot of, very long matches, and um, so uh, talking about him, uh, it's really been an amazing week. Uh, um, and also, I I've been very happy to uh, to see him playing at a very good level in in the final. Um, no, you lost me. Oh, no,
2: I mean we, we can still hear you. Uh, if that's oh, what okay. you mean, no, no, it's no? It,
1: it's just you. Okay, no, it's so it's my issue. Okay, so no problem. Um, no, yeah, I was I was saying, uh, of course, very nice things about Struve, but also speaking about Alcaraz, uh, this has probably been, uh, yeah, uh, the first time in a Masters final for him going very very close. Uh, in the score also he's been the first one to uh, to save a break point in uh, in the deciding set um, and so of course it's it's been really really good for him to see him able to uh, to play such uh, such a good level even in the fight in in a final as the favorite in front of the, of the own crowd um, which is not easy at all. Uh, given also the fact that probably it was uh, probably uh, yeah also uh, a first time for him in uh, I mean in last year's final it it wasn't close at all so it was of course um, a lot easier uh, to handle while pro- this year going into that as the defending champion. And playing as a favorite, uh, it's also been very, very good, good signs for him. And uh, not that I was doubting, but um, I think very, very good uh, takeaways from for both the players involved into into that final. Of course, it's a bit of a shame that we are not going to see uh, in these two two weeks in Rome um uh, but uh, probably he also was deserving a little bit of rest after having a very very tough two weeks
2: um yeah and um as you as you guys sort of hinted at as well i think that the the, the, the a bit of a theme this week was alcaraz getting into some minor trouble like it never really got quite to the reservoir level um, it was, you know, five-two against Kachanov. Uh, Kachanov had the five-two lead in in the second set. Chorich was pushing him so close. Struve, as you said, um, had break points in the decider, um, pushed him to a, this, pushed him to a third set. And um, anytime he really ran into this, he was just saving uh, his ass so impressively. I mean, Alcaraz was right, and that's, I guess, like the the, the main positive takeaway. Uh, is Madrid the most representative event in terms of Ron Garros? Probably not. But, you know, he has played so much um, in both in Barcelona and in um, in Madrid that he's basically given himself the best possible preparation already. Um, what what Vance said earlier, I actually, uh, like just an hour ago, I finished um, a Polish stream uh, for something else. And um, I literally said like a very similar sentence there and I was going on about it for like five minutes, that um, if like Alcaraz loses in the forefront in Rome, nothing happens. Like literally there's no um, drawback. There's nothing really that changes in terms of his preparation whatsoever. If Djokovic would lose there, yeah, that's why he, that event is is going to, you know, the, the next one in Rome is going to be so much more important for Djokovic than this for Alcaraz. And that's because Alcaraz won here. Um, of course, you know, any of these breakpoints in the second set against Tresu Vori go, go the other way. Maybe, um, you know, Rome actually becomes a very, um, like, a key event for Alcaraz if he goes out in the second round in Madrid. Right now, you know, he's given himself, like, the, um, I guess, the, the, the a bit of a caution, just if, if, if I lose in Rome, whatever, um who cares i mean i've already won two uh, huge events of course that's not really how carlos alcaraz is going to think about it he's way too competitive for that and rightfully so um that that's probably not how tennis players should perceive events but like in the in the in the long run in the grand scheme of things that's basically how it's going to go and um yeah let's 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 definitely talk more about the Lundar stroehm um what a fantastic year he's had um and absolutely like crazy Uh, Win loss record so far compared to like most of his career. Yeah. 34 wins and 13 uh, losses. Of course, there's been a few weird ones like between monte carlo and uh madrid this is something that we're probably gonna forget about um like you know in the next couple of years or something but between between monte carlo and madrid he lost in the opening round in munich which as you mentioned was uh he only his only previous atp final to alexander richard but this was like literally one of the i don't know two or three uh, poor losses that Jan Leonard struf has had this year. So, um, yeah, how do you guys see him going, you know, after this event? Is it in any way repeatable? Um, of course, he's already played like this for the first three or four months of the year. And yeah, just something on how um, how unexpected and how amazing this whole year, but also you know, specifically this, this run in Madrid is for, for the guy. Feel free Sorry, to was, uh, it yeah. was muted, but uh,
0: oh. it's good for the rest of the field, I think that uh, Jan Leonard Stroof is back inside the top 30. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his career high ranking before this week was 29, and I believe yeah. now he's 27 or something, so I think that's uh, that's uh, quite representative or 28 maybe. But he's uh, he's definitely shown that he's capable of taking out a lot of top players. He has 12 top 10 wins in his career, and he is. Performed pretty well at Roland Garros before, made the second week a couple of years ago, so I think uh, I think we should reasonably expect him to at least get to the third round um, at at Roland Garros, and I like the slower conditions generally for him because even though with his big um, aggressive return style and also his also his big serving and big ground strokes, I think the clay actually gives him a little bit more time, and he can crush balls and come in, and he's very formidable at that. Um, there were times in in Madrid where I felt like he, you know, a lot of people pointed this out on Twitter, but he was volleying like Ed berger or Sampras <laughs> and some spectacular volleys and uh, gets and shots like that at the net uh, in Madrid in the final. And also the match against Sitzipas. that was one of the more impressive matches I've seen from him because it wasn't as if Sitzipas played badly. Uh, I felt like Stroof just really rose his level and came up with aggressive returns and the first set tiebreak, and then got the crucial break in the third set and I think uh I think it was a very much well-deserved week and he made very good use of that lucky loser spot uh to seven and ended up getting revenge but I mean generally I you know maybe maybe it, maybe it is possible we saw we saw him overperform this week given that it is Madrid and altitude clay and his previous final did come in altitude as well in Munich but uh but I think he has shown that he's capable of a consistent top 30-40 level. And I think last year was more or less an outlier um, with the with the injury that he sustained in Miami and then couldn't really play the rest of the clay court season, which I think clay is his best surface. So,
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. But uh, also I have to say that um, he he proved to, I think, to be able to, to play very good tennis um, basically more or less everywhere, because even in in the in the grass path, uh, I think that he can do he can do really well. He had some some very big wins, uh, even on that surface, um, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, of course this uh, can can really be now uh, a part of the season in which he he can try to. Um, Yeah, to 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 earn uh, a little more um, from his wins because when you when you win a lot on uh, mm, yeah, for example on uh, on the challenger level, uh, for example, it's um, yeah, of course you earn a lot of uh, your ranking points and positions in the ranking and all these things. But uh, then, if you are able to to build your. your consistency and your confidence and uh, your tennis level grows up and and suddenly you are in a masters final and uh, i think that he he also is able to um, i think to uh, to try to have some also other solid results in in the next event um, really not doubt uh, so yeah i think that as you said before uh, it's uh, a really uh, g- good news for the other player that is now back in in the top 30 and so in uh, in the seeded uh, in the seeding for for example the grand slams or or these now two weeks masters events for example uh, so yeah i of course totally deserve also a very very good final Uh, gifted to to you all from both players and also uh, from him. And so, yeah, very, very nice opinion. Uh, Nothing wrong to say.
2: Um, Yeah, we lost your camera, Mario, but, you know, the sound was still fine, so... um, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I I have to say that uh, I'm finding my connection a little bit unstable because I'm in Rome right now and I'm using the hotspot of... (laughs) Of my phone because it's like
2: the only way I can mm. uh, I can connect no, to, to we can hear electric. you very well so um, okay. it, it yeah it doesn't seem like there are any sound issues yeah I mean for me like um, Struf, basically you know we're in we're just in the beginning at the beginning of my And this is already the best season of his career, right? Like, whatever he does from here, he might lose the next 20 matches. I don't really care. I mean, okay, if he lost the next 20 matches, uh, maybe then we can start the discussion. But, um, like, whatever he does from here, if he just continues to, you know, just maybe get some wins um, here and there, still the best season of his career and um i think mario uh, talked about it earlier where uh, he said that you know there were so many long matches along the way for Struve. um every time like before he played Karatsev, before he played alcaraz you would think that it's impossible for him to just keep going like this and yet he somehow did it you know he didn't really feel fatigued in the final either you know just um visually um as from the from the spectators perspective from the from um from the viewers perspective so um, especially uh, mentally, too, um, the the way he performed in the final, which was, um, I remember uh, on Twitter, there was a bit of a discussion before this one where um, someone criticized, I think it was Daniela Hantuchova. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Jake, actually, who's sometimes on the chat um, here as well. I don't know if he's here today, but he um, was uh, pointing out that Daniela Hantuchova was saying before the match that Struf has nothing to lose which I think is like completely the other way around. like the guy had everything to lose there. you know, this is the biggest chance of his career. this is perhaps the last one you never know, but at 33 years of age you kind of have to think in in these categories. and this is of course the biggest final of his career, the biggest match of his career. So he basically has everything to lose. but he didn't really play like that he he played um exactly as as in the previous rounds he was um you know he tried to take the racket out of alcaraz's hands it almost worked so um i think um especially for someone who maybe had a bit of a history of um not maybe performing when being close to an atp tour title he's only been in two finals but he's been in many semi-finals and um like that wasn't really a stage he had done well at. Of course, um this is such a big storyline as well that Jan Lenar Struve doesn't have an ATP tour title, right? Like that's something that he has been asked about countless times. Um, myself included, when I talked to him last year, that was also one of the things that we mentioned. So you know, I think this is like the, the one of the first things that people talk to. Um, Jan Lilar Struth about and um, of course they don't do it out of spite of course it's not something that they shouldn't be doing it's a big storyline but that also has to like weigh in on you a little bit um, going into into the biggest match of your career and yet somehow Struth handled this perfectly and and that was quite amazing Um, I think John said earlier somewhere in the comments that I now lost Uh, That if not for Struve, he would have felt, um, yeah, he would have considered, like, the Madrid Masters a little bit dull, uh, which um, I think for a lot of people um, was like that. um, Like, um, it could have been Karatsev, he was in the final, I think. Um, It could have been Zhang if he was in the final, if they also gave Alcaraz such a tough time. Like, I think the, 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 but the Struve storyline was probably a little bit better just because of, yeah, the fact that we never thought he was going to be back to these heights. And the fact that he, uh, well, again, the first title storyline that was sort of brewing, and also the fact that he was a lucky loser, which, uh, which would have been absolutely insane as well. So, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely quite something. Um and I guess we can talk about some other guys now right uh we had Borna Choric and Asan Karatsev in the semis which um you know both of them I think deserve a mention both of them um have to be talked about because um they certainly weren't the expected semifinalists before the final maybe I'll let you guys um you know choose to who you want to talk about maybe you can maybe you want to mention both at the same time um maybe let's sort of change the uh the queue uh the line and let's go to Mario now. And um, yeah, Mario, just something about the semifinalists. Chorich Karatsev. How? What, what was that?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I, uh, to be honest, I, yeah, I, I, wasn't really expecting Chorich in the semifinals. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, given um, the way he was, he was playing in this first part of the season, not really being able to um, to get into into his the level he is able to produce at times and um, yeah of course uh, it's uh, it's really been important for him even because we are now getting closer and closer to that Cincinnati uh, 100 points that uh, uh, yeah uh, of course in some months of time they're going to uh, to fly away from him so it's it's really important um for for his ranking also to uh, to gain some some points here and there and trying to uh, to get some some quite deep runs. and um yeah no uh i mean i i don't think he's been very lucky with the rome draw uh, but um still still very positive uh, uh, to see him able to produce some some good tennis even because in that uh, semi final um yeah also the, the score was uh i i felt like the score was also a little bit harsh on him because um the match uh felt maybe a little bit closer uh than what the the score was telling uh because he he had some very very good moments also in that match um but yeah i have to say that I, uh i was also very happy to see karatsev playing uh, at a good level after a while, uh, because I, I I think that his tennis um, is uh, he's really able to be entertaining at, at times. For example, the tiebreak in the first set he played against Medvedev was a really, really high quality one, uh, very, very fun to see. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Uh, Probably these two players was uh, given how they uh, they were playing. They were uh, even less an expectation than Struwe in the semi final lineup. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think that uh, it's really much needed result. <laughs> um, we are watching now Karase uh, with that T shirt. This this year he's going to to play Wimbledon. Um, and no, yeah, I uh, I was also talking about karate because I watched the the second semi final uh, really really uh, carefully and it's uh, it's been a very very um, uh, fun match. I I to be honest, I really liked to to watch and to follow the uh, the bottom half of the draw, even if there there were a lot of upsets because. Um, Players was uh, yeah. I mean, they were entertaining to watch, and uh, I like this this
2: kind. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports,
1: media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is not as uh,
1: simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Deal.
2: Listen to The Deal. Listen to
1: The Deal on Spotify.
2: Now we probably lost you, uh, or is it me? I I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah, I think we now lost Mario. Mario. Um, so yeah, I I think he was coming close to the end of his sentence anyway. So maybe you can you can just take over.
0: Yeah, no, everything uh, Mario said about Karatsev. I think it was just great to see him back playing at this level. I mean, he was outside the top one hundred and twenty before this week, and obviously we all remember the Karatsev that we saw from the Challengers August twenty twenty all the way to basically Belgrade of the the following year. I mean, uh, he's he was able to sustain that level for a very for a pretty long time. And then, you know, had won a title in Moscow and then Sydney as well. And then since then, I think, I mean, last year he had a terrible record on the tour. He just wasn't winning many matches and he had some things going on, I think in his personal life that he hinted at in Madrid after one of his press conferences, but it's a little bit uh, crazy. It was a little bit of a crazy fall. I would say. Um, I certainly I felt like this week he did a lot better job with his footwork. Um, he was a lot more, disciplined I think, in his in his shot selection, not trying to always paint the lines, and he was making those little adjustment steps, just getting getting around the ball, centering his feet a little bit better, just showing as much patience as you can on a Karatsev scale, I guess, and hitting to some bigger bigger targets rather than you know just straight up trying to hit winners and go for lines right off the first shot. So, and I also thought he was serving really well, and you know the conditions definitely helped him, even though the ball can be quite tough to control. He was very good in the Medvedev match, uh, had positive winners to errors ratio for most of the week and most of the matches that he played, uh, particularly against Diminor and Medvedev. And he really had no trouble closing out those matches. And I think the the leg issue kind of caught up to him in the, in the semifinal because he won the first set against Strof, a uh, player that he had beaten in qualifying. And then he had a very thick strapping on his left thigh. And uh, it was clear in the, in the third set that he wasn't going to be able to move the way he probably needed to in the corners, to win that match. But uh, but it's great to see him sort of back in more or less the fringes of the top fifty. And I think he can he can maybe build on it. I'm not sure if this form will last two two weeks, ten weeks. Maybe this was an outlier week. But uh, but he's just kind of a kind of a wild card, and he doesn't give away much in uh, in terms of his... It's not the most expressive guy after matches, so you don't really get a huge feel for what. <laughs> What uh, what are the reasons for his uh, decline or success? And he's just more or less a wild a wild card. I wonder how he's going to do in the in the in the slams, best of five sets. Uh, but now he has a pretty good resume, I guess. For I mean, he's not even thirty yet, so he can definitely have many more instances of success like this. And for Chorich, uh, this was this was much needed after Cincinnati, like Mario was was mentioning. I mean. I think we, I was on this a couple of weeks ago after Munich and I was getting pretty worried about his ranking and he was outside the top 90 in the race and now he's back in the top 25. So I think uh, weeks like this, I think we should just come to expect from from Borna and it seems to be happening on a lot of the faster conditions as Mario is back. Um, uh, it seems to be happening like, you know, on all of his success in the last three years has been like Hala, Shanghai, Cincinnati, pretty fast conditions, Indian Wells, is like the ball moves fast through the air, pretty slow, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those events. And then Madrid, I, I think he he did pretty well to beat Hrach. That was a that was a tight first set, and once he got out of that, I think it gave him a lot of confidence. And uh, and then he the match against Fokina was really where was might have been the match of the week actually in Madrid. That was really high quality from both over three and a half hours. And um, and yeah, George, I think uh, is gonna have two or three weeks like this every 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 season basically and keep himself in the in the top 20. I remember him mentioning at the end of last season that the shoulder, um, remember there was that crazy week in Cincinnati and also when he won, in, won the challenger that he was just serving like crazy, hitting his forehand, going after it. And that's when he's very dangerous. But he said that there's some weeks where because he's managing the injury and it's more of a long-term thing, he's not going to be able to do that every week just because some days, some weeks the pain is worse than others. But when he's in, I mean, he's... He's really, really tough to beat and very talented because his backhand is one of the best in the game and the way he can change directions with it and go down the line. And uh, he obviously was going after his forehand quite well. That was maybe the difference in the Alcaraz matches. Uh, you know, George just wasn't finding enough finishes on his forehand and Alcaraz was actually playing quite smart, hitting it deep uh, down the middle and not giving uh, not giving Carlos many angles to work with. And that really frustrated George in the end. But I agree with Mario. The scoreline was, uh, was a lot closer than what the scoreline actually suggested so uh, yeah pretty good week for both
2: yeah that's what i meant earlier when i said that like carlos fell into some trouble in that match even though yeah just scoreline wise it might not seem like that uh it also wasn't developing in a way where you'd think that he was falling into trouble but just just yeah just in how this match looked and actually on the court was uh was certainly quite uh, insane in that regard and and yeah he pushed Alcaraz very close. I do agree that the best version of Chioric is when he's service firing. So you know Madrid great for that and definitely when he can generate some pace on the forehand which um before the shoulder injury I think he was actually much worse at than, than yes. he is now. Uh but but as you said it's like it's not lasting the you know the whole month, the the uh the whole swing. It's only really been a few events. Uh, that that challenger he won in Italy in in June, Parma, I think it was, or something like this. And yeah. then of course, um, then of course, Cincinnati, Vienna was also great. Uh, but may, mo- maybe mostly based on his serve. And um, yeah, some 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 of the tournaments that he played this year definitely a lot of disappointing losses. So this uh, this really goes a long way into securing his life on the ATP tour after Cincinnati points drop because we're assuming that he's not going to win it but you know maybe maybe he is actually and and Karatsev was um something as well uh you know we thought that he was probably going to be down to the challenger tour again this year um as it turns out i think he only played one match in Sanremo against Kimer Kopiansky which he lost in in three sets but um looks like he's actually going to secure also his um you know he, he, his um, existence at the top level with this uh, with this quarterfinal. Uh, thank you, Vansh, for saying that his run of form began in August 2020. Because uh, I keep getting pissed off when I see that people, um, you know, are like he um, suddenly appeared in January 2021 because it's just really not true. Like, and, and in the fall of 2020, right after the all the exhibitions he played during the pandemic and probably fixed like billions of them. <laughs> In the meantime, as well, but you know, still, he played so many of these exhibitions, and that's when he, um, you know, showed something that before maybe wasn't really possible. And, um, he, he was already in that Australian Open semi is Dubai title winner uh, form, he just had to, you know, actually get to, uh, to a spot where he could play these events, and of course, had to qualify for the Australian Open. I think he even played Nakashima in the qualifying there, so it was, uh, it, it was not a given, even. Um, and the french i think he lost to corda in the final qualifying round so it was just you know it wasn't really a matter of his level yet it was um uh, yet not being there it was uh, it was just a matter of actually getting there and you know putting in the results um certainly um always an exciting player to watch when he's peaking when he's not he's absolutely abysmal but <laughs> this yeah. he certainly was and even in that final qualifying round against Struve, which um you mentioned I, I mean honestly having watched that much um, Struf really wasn't giving it that much of an effort in the second set um, someone on, in, under one of my tweets commented that uh, he played as if he had like uh, um, 10 pound weights on his ankles or something like this and I think it's actually a very accurate description of how Struf played in that match. but you could already see that Karatsev is like really uh, finding the lines with every single thing he plays Uh, Even if if Struv just was pretty subpar. And um, also the way he like neutralized uh, Zhang's power in the quarters, right? Someone who also has a huge serve, um, massive ground strokes. And then Karatsev just comes out, hits 30 winners to Zhang's nine, I think. And, And that's something he did so well as well. Uh, also in that uh, Medvedev match, where he was just uh, really smart about trying to find some short angles, both of the forehand and, and the backhand, but probably of the backhand, it's it's somewhat easier for him, and um, just uh, yeah, make Medvedev hit some footwork patterns that aren't maybe as comfortable for him, uh, lure him into the net a little bit, lure him just um, make make him move uh, up and down the court. Which certainly um, just allowed them a much cleaner way to to hit through the Russian, which is still a challenge on clay. Uh, you know, it, it's not a part of Medvedev's game that is really hampered by by, by clay courts. Um, his uh, his lateral movement, it's it's rather all the other stuff basically. Um, but yeah, um, absolutely huge for both both guys. Um, probably um, probably more repeatable for Chorich, but we'll, we shall see um and um yeah again um i'm not really sure what i wanted to say um but I, i'm um, just gonna ask you a question
0: have you cool. ever seen a player like karatsev like who's so hard to sort of figure out like when when is he gonna play his best tennis and where
2: well, there's a lot of these guys right i mean like basi for yes. example <laughs> yeah like um mostly these guys who have just um play styles that are so hit or miss um, that when they yeah, peak, definitely. they they can just have insane ceilings, but when they don't, um, they can go for like half a year without winning anything. Um, maybe a very, um, well, a, a little less uh, less high-profile example would be Andrea Pellegrino, who for the past three mm-hmm. seasons is basically just having like one or two weeks a year when he just randomly peaks, wins the challenger, is like the cleanest ball striker you've ever seen. And then can lose ten matches in a row, and like he's been doing that in 2021, 2022, basically on on a regular basis. And you can never really expect it. He is 100% a top 100 player when he, um, yeah, you know, when, when he has that one of his peaks. But at the same time, just you know, terrible lulls, terrible um, streaks, um, poor patches, and um, you cannot really explain it. You cannot really predict it. You can feel it in your guts, like. You know, I feel like a good Andrea Pellegrino week is coming, <laughs> but then um, it's probably um, you know j- just a gut feeling and it's never really based on any logic. And it's the same with Basiashvili and Karatsev. Yeah, even today's week. match about Pellegrino. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was like 6-3, love 6 and 6-3 six, then again. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I guess Brancaccio in the um, qualifying round, gra- the first qualifying round for Rome, yeah. when you love Karatsev?
0: like 2021 to 2023 is kind of reminds me a little bit of like Janovic 2012-2013 where he just like he made the Wimbledon semi-final and then there was that quarterfinal between him and Kabat I want to say it was like yeah it was the quarters 2013 yeah it was like yeah. when the draw like when they really opened up and then and then he had that insane run to the Paris Masters final where he yeah. beat like, he beat Andy Murray and he saved those match points and then he beat like Chilich and he got to the and then eventually like Ferrer took him out in the final and then he sort of like peaked at like 14 in the world and Karatsev is also like career high as 14 and I don't know why, there's just some weird parallels between the two of them. But oh. never was never able to actually win a title, which, and then like he had several years off the tour and then
2: like... Yeah, of course, yeah. Like five years already, like if you count them together, I guess, right, the the, the whole breaks that he's had, right, so... Um, yeah, but but strange. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe there is a parallel there. I mean, in in two thousand twelve, I think his results were uh, definitely like um, you could kind of predict them. But of course, Karatsev also had that um, yeah. period, right, where where you could actually rely on him going deep. And Janovic's Paris run was also like preceded by some very strong challenger results. Wimbledon third round as well. That year, I think he won, like, three challengers um, on clay, maybe, but some, something yeah. like that. Okay. Uh, the Wimbledon run was a little more uh, random, I think. And also, as you said, like, the, the draw really opened up. He did not yeah. have a quality win in that event, actually. You would even say that, right? Like, he did yeah. not. He just did not beat a quality player in that event. Of course, he was very close to beating Mare, which would have changed the, the, the landscape of this completely, but uh, he really didn't. So... Um, yeah, since then, it was, it was definitely quite random. And as you said, he he never won an ATP title. Um, three match points against Lukas Rosol in the Winston-Salem final, which um, which is going to be the one to regret, because otherwise it was just that one against Ferrer and the one against uh, Gasquet-Montpellier, where he retired after 14 points. But anyway, uh, Jerzyanovic is not playing this week. Uh, he's not playing this year yet. <laughs> I don't know if he will be. He is actually playing some pickleball and paddle recently. Um, I don't know how serious he is about this, but uh, well, apparently he's not that serious about tennis anymore um Pellegrino as ghosty asked something about Pellegrino, but I'm not sure if it was actually a question um but anyway, uh, and he also said that I mean was I mean really maybe I was um anyway um there's also, I think um well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one more guy to talk about and then I'm just gonna uh, like, you know, leave the, um, the floor to you in terms of who else you want to mention. But I think Zizhen Zhang definitely has to be um, has to be talked about here too. Um, already, we have some developments in his case, right? Because he played Rome qualifying today and he lost to Francesco Maestrelli <laughs> from 5-3 up, 5-7 in the third. 5-3 up in the third, he lost 5-7. So it looks like his clutchness only lasted one week. But um, yeah, just what did you guys think of the of the breakout ATP tour run of Jilin Zhang?
1: Yeah, I mean, not not surprised at all, <laughs> since he's he's one of that of that player who is kind of unpredictable uh, in terms of um, how well he's going to do like the next week or so. Uh, but uh, talking just talking about Madrid, of mm, he. Uh, he really, he really played uh, some very, very entertaining battles because uh, all his matches against Shapovalov, uh, Norrie, Fritz were all, uh, all, all very hard fought um, matches, entertaining for for the crowds, and it's been, uh, he's been really, really a nice presence in this event. So I, I, I'm still giving him a, a shout out for. Uh, for what he did, also, uh, I mean, he, he, it can be quite difficult sometimes to to go into Rome after, um, right after Madrid, and uh, uh, even today the conditions were pretty pretty difficult to manage. Uh, I I'd say because the weather was uh, pretty bad, uh, and so the clay was was turning out really really heavy. And it was probably really the opposite about what happened uh, in in Madrid, and I think that maybe his his ball striking wasn't really uh, giving a lot uh, comparing to um, to what happened in Madrid. Of course, he was really really close to win, and he, he hasn't been uh, really clutch in that situation. But talking about Madrid, he I I say that. His presence has been uh, really, really uh, funny because all, all the, the battles he had against very, very uh, good players and uh, giving it, it all. And uh, uh, also the match against Elon Fritz uh, having pre- uh, basically all the stats uh, in Fritz's favor and then Jung won the match. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, he it's been funny to follow Uh, let's see if uh, we 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 will be able to to see him uh, a little bit more on the atp tour
0: Yeah, I was impressed by his ability to redirect base so effortlessly. He reminded me almost a little bit of Weebing Wu in Dallas, how he was uh, coming up with these insane redirects off of Fritz's powerful ground strokes and just trading forehands with him and then going down the line and just like some insane rally tolerance as well, like 20-plus shot rallies against Fritz and there were many occasions where I felt like Fritz should have come forward and finished at the net, but that's not really one of his strengths, as we know. And then because of that, you know, he got sucked into this really long, grueling physical battle with Jung, who was prepared to go the distance and saved all those match points and did, like, just extremely well from the baseline. And he's, he seemed to really enjoy the, the pace that he was getting from these big hitters, particularly even against um, even against the lefties. He was doing really well in the tie breaks, just jumping on them and then getting leads and yeah, just really played the big points really, really well. And you could see that uh, Nori and Shapovalov and even Fritz were just tight at some points because they just felt the the pressure and they felt like, you know, I think Fritz went into that match thinking I'm definitely winning this. And uh, and then, yeah, I mean, he went up a set and a break and it was, it was six three four three forty 40 love at one point. And then, mm-hmm. you know, from then on, I think Jung just connected on two or three amazing returns and, hit this one incredible forehand winner and then they went to this tie break and then Jung was able to level it quite comfortably. But then the third set, it was, that was really when it was very entertaining when Fritz had those three match points and couldn't quite close it out. But Jung has uh, shown that he can, you know, I definitely think he can do pretty well indoors. I'm curious to see when we go indoors or when we go to some more faster surfaces, I think he can do quite a lot of damage because he does have some some tools from the baseline that can make him pretty dangerous against a lot of top players
2: but- interestingly he actually like hates playing indoors <laughs> really yeah um i talked to him about about it last year a couple of times uh once in Braunschweig and and um then in poland in kozerki and um like he he really uh says that indoors is like not a good choice for him you know he he keeps losing there um, I, I kinda think it makes sense, you know. He he just likes when the ball sits up for him. He can hit yeah. through anything anyway. Like if if the surface is slow and the ball just sits up, he's gonna blast through it. Um he he has like unbelievably clean technique and of course like just insane amounts of row power. Um, especially if you compare him to most Asians, right? Just the physicality is uh is just absurd uh, the the huge serve and and just uh, the sort of towering presence that he has um on the court um and i this run was just so wild to me because this was literally the opposite of what he had been doing this year right like he was literally losing everything in tight matches or like uh, from a set and a breakup. up uh, he had this streak at the beginning of the year when he played uh Kolash Trunheliti and Miller So, like, not really ATP Tour players, right? I mean, Muller has just broken the 100, but still. Uh, And he was just constantly losing to them from from a setup and then usually a breakup in the second. And generally, outside of Madrid, he just hasn't had a good event this year at all um we uh, on the last atp weekly we had some fun with mario uh picking like our upset uh, upset picks of the round and we actually both got it because i went with kachi in DFO and he went with zhang uh, over fritz i think that was or zhang over nori zhang over nori um Jean yeah, over and and the one with catching over t f o so we both got it, but you know we 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 talked about Jean quite a lot there, and um yeah, just mentioned that like on purely on ball striking, he is definitely just as good as these guys are, maybe he doesn't quite have like the the mental toughness that they have well this week he had um, not any other week of the year so far, and uh, maybe he doesn't have like the rally tolerance, maybe he doesn't have the shot selection, maybe he just doesn't have all these like experience related things, but um, he can definitely hang with them. And Ghostie um, also says that he comes from a sporting family. I don't know how much that matters, but I, apparently uh, Zizhen Zhang's father is like a, like a famous footballer in China. And... Um, uh, yeah, I I am super excited to see if it works. But compared to Struf and Karatsev, who have secured them them uh, themselves like uh, an ATP tour spot for the foreseeable future, Jang still hasn't done it. Uh, he is actually like in the ATP race right now. He is still like barely in the top 100 or something like that. After Rome, he's probably going to be since he already lost. He's probably going to be out which, um, you know, just kind of shows you that he still needs to work for this. Um, of course, in the actual ATP2 rankings, he's going to be higher, but that's because he had a fantastic summer on clay last year. And um, so many of his good results actually came on clay, which was a bit of a surprise last year, but I think it's starting to make a lot more sense. Um, regarding what you said about, um, yeah, indoors, uh, he clearly seems to struggle when it's like, too fast for him and w- yeah when when the when the bounce is low as well uh but he did uh in 2019 he won a couple of challenges in china which were held on like ultra fast outdoor hard courts. he was also usually really good in shanghai when that event was still held i think he even said like that it's like his favorite event or something so um maybe um maybe not necessarily indoors but maybe in some of these outdoor uh quicker hard courts, um maybe he could do well there. Of course, it really depends if he's even going to be able to play it. Shanghai, he, sh- he will be, right? He he will get a wild card. I am I hope so. Uh, but like Cincinnati, it's not a given at this point. He really needs some strong results over the summer again. And there was also a question that I think I needed uh, to answer. Yeah, exactly. The one that's on the screen. Um, how do you feel about all these high-ranked players playing challengers when they get knocked out? Um, that's clearly what these um, challenger 175s are for, right? so um how do i feel about this um do i generally prefer seeing uh lower ranked players in challengers unlike low profile challengers for me personally probably yes but of course for the development of the challenger tour it's much better when there's a final between Mare and paul and like almost 10k people are watching it live right because that that's what happened like i think if if the third set was close then probably it would have reached like double digits of (laughs) <laughs> double digits of the of thousands in um in the in uh, you know in the um top corner of the screen when you can see how many people are viewing it via the official channels at least which I don't think I've ever seen I've seen like five six k before when team was coming back uh when Amare was coming back but um yeah something like that has never really happened so for the development of the tour it's excellent for for more people to know what it is it's absolutely excellent. And um, I think even the ATP was probably hoping for more players like Tommy Paul, um, for more players who are going to lose early in Rome, Madrid, and then, or you know, Indian Wells, and then are going to decide to play it because um, what, especially what shows me that I think is the the fact that we had two 175s, and we also have two yeah. 175s in Rome in, in the second week of Rome and Bordeaux and Turin, so that kind of shows me that the ATP I think was hoping for even more and also with the fact that uh these European 175s have a 28 player draw um Phoenix had just regular 32 so i think they were really hoping that there was going to be more Tommy Pauls in there um so yeah personally like for me it's probably not as exciting as as um you know as as for other people but yeah it, it's amazing for the tour for sure and um it got some you know it got a lot of good promotion recognition this week which is amazing and ultimately this will lead to better promotion recognition for the smaller events as well and um just like i promised guys yeah,
1: the next step is going to have some a little bit higher quality quality streams to oh, be yeah. honest because um, it, it's. It, I, I saw a comment you 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 had on on Twitter uh, recently, and yeah, when they uh, when they publish the the clip of some point, uh, yeah. it's not it's not the same as how we watch watch the matches uh, on 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 the stream. Uh, okay. And I think that it's an up, it, it's a worthy upgrade, it, even if you are wanted to make some 150, 175 events involving some um some higher ranked players and so you are expecting also uh, more people to be interested in at least in those events and new watching uh, for example the later stages of these events uh, of course the the Murray Paul final was very uh, charming for uh, for, for I think for all the fans, uh, the hardcore to fans and, uh, and also, um, uh, I mean, for example, the Marais fan base or some, uh, some people who enjoy watching Tommy Paul's matches. Uh, and uh, so I, I think that it's, it's a worthy upgrade to, to have a higher, a higher quality stream also.
2: Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with that. We actually had, like, a branding change on the 1st of May, right? The the new logo, the new scoreboards. And, like, it's fine that it looks cleaner, definitely. That was something that maybe was a little overdue with the scoreboards looking like it's 2005 before. But like the next step forward I definitely agree is for sure improving the video quality which um I think there is a big big turnoff for a lot of people like you sometimes you have to have a lot of dedication to watch these ones mm-hmm. and just uh, one more thing that I wanted to say on this, even though Paul Mare was like of course the big story there was also an Umberger yeah. final you could easily see that in a, a 250 in a 250 somewhere or maybe like in summer cases maybe even a 500 but. Uh, still, I think nothing really, um, like even h- held up against the Coquimbo Challenger 50 final, which is really what's beautiful for me. That uh, you know you've got Mare Paul, and it's like shitty quality, really, compared to uh, compared to a Challenger final in Kokimbo between one guy ranked 293 and uh, the other 282. But anyway, that's not. This is not a Challenger show. Uh, so let's uh, let's draw the line here, and uh, I promised you guys earlier just a chance to um, talk about whoever you want, basically, before we um, leave uh, Madrid to talk like for a brief moment about Rome, and also we're ha- going to have to talk about Nadal, I think. But um, yeah, for now, just uh, who else um, you wanted to mention from Madrid?
0: Um had a good week. Uh, winning the doubles as well as Uh beating Rublev in the fourth round and then decently close match against Carlos. A couple of chances to go up 5-1 in the second set on Carlos. And then so I felt like he held up a pretty good fight and uh, he's in the top 10 in the race. Um, And he's put together some good results now since the U.S. Open. Obviously the two semifinals of the majors and then semifinal in Miami. He made better three sets there, and then now quarterfinal here. So he's really starting to become a much more consistent force in the top fifteen. But uh, I'm, yeah. I mean, so that's that's certainly one thing. And now he's uh, like in the hunt for potentially making Turin this year.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and you... I <laughs> No, yeah, I wanted to mention also that CC uh, Pass is now uh, starting needed more and more of some some good runs uh, uh, because uh, even for example in the Rome draw uh, we saw that you you are the number five seed and yeah you can suddenly uh, end in the Alcaraz quarter for example as it happened in Rome. And after the uh, after the Australian Open Final for different reasons, he, he hasn't been really, really solid and consistent. And so I I'm interested to see how he's going to do to do in Rome, since we know that he he's able to play really well in, in all basically in all the, the clay court big events. And I think that he, he's one of the players that he that needs to to show up even better uh, in these two weeks if he wants to build some some momentum for for the Roland Garros in uh, a slam in which he can have some kind of opportunity to to gain some points given that uh, last year he he was out in, in round four uh, but I think that he he needs to. To, to step
2: out uh, from this, these two weeks. I think he's still fourth in the ATP race, I guess, right? Of course, like, half of these points are the Austrian Open final, but... Um... I guess that they, they do give him quite a lot of comfort. There's a question from Sean I get which I guess we could answer. Um, will Zverev game evolve? I feel he has too much in the comfort zone camping on the baseline. Maybe if he shortened up his forehand backswing. And just before I let you guys um talk about it, um, you know, of course Zverev was in the forefront this this week, uh beat Karbáez by Paina in a very um, contentious much, then absolutely crushed Hugo Grenier, who like kind of had it coming after a few wins where his opponents were just sort of gifting it to him, and then was just dismantled by Alcaraz so easily in the forefront. So, yeah, what would you say to, to Sean there?
0: I would say that uh, Zverev's game uh, is still missing. He's still missing something on the, on the forehand. I mean, physically, he seems to be better than better now after his injury and he's i think he's 12 and 12 on the season so he has you know not really had some big wins yet like his biggest wins have been in you know against one or two top 20 guys but he hasn't beaten like his his best results this year have been those losses to medvedev probably that's where he's played his best tennis hasn't come up with a win in the end but uh, maybe this week is like a chance for him to do better i guess but uh I think we'll be telling when he plays, for example, like Harkac, because those two guys struggle a little bit on their forehands. And so I'm curious to see if they play each other in the third round and Rome, like what that result would probably be. But I don't know if he needs to shorten up his forehand backswing. I think on the clay, you know, there's, he's most effective when he goes after the forehand, hits it really big with confidence, and then comes forward. That's when he seems to play his best. Uh, best tennis and against Alcaraz, his forehand was just not good for most of the match. I mean, uh, he made so many errors off of it. He was not able to generate from the middle of the court, which he absolutely has to do against Alcaraz. Um, and Alcaraz just didn't even need to really play out of his com- comfort zone to play superbly. I don't even think it was like the best match he's played or anything like that. He just, he was just pretty solid, and uh, you know, Zverev was just not able to find the offense. Uh, and then Alcaraz was returning really well and he wasn't able to get three points on his serve, which is like a huge thing in Madrid that normally has won him two titles and even got him to the final last year. And then now his ranking is outside the top 20 as well. And I think him and Stroop are like around the same ranking, like 26, 27 in the race. And maybe like, just they're both outside the top 20 now in in the rankings. So like, yeah, this feels like a, as far as his like ranking and everything is concerned like these two weeks are probably bigger for him uh because he has those semifinal points to defend and and then Rome semifinals as well last year so so yeah
2: yeah and no, like for I me agree. um yeah uh yeah for me it's just uh, definitely like more of a mental issue than a, an actual forehand technique issue than Uh, You know, compared to, yeah, you mentioned Hurkacz. Um, So I think uh, Hurkacz has both the forehand and the mental issue when it comes to hitting his forehand. Uh, For Zverev, it's like more on the mental side for me. So uh, I wouldn't say there's really much that needs to be done there. Um, He just has always sort of struggled being being confident in it, really. And... um, yeah, let's, uh, let's maybe move on from Madrid then and just talk about... Uh, well, at first, we, we do need to talk about... Because I think it happened this week where um, Rafael Nadal withdrew out of Rome. Uh, so uh, that's something we have not talked about yet. It feels like on every single ATP Weekly Show there's a new Rafael Nadal withdrawal that we keep mentioning. Uh, but yeah, how do you guys feel about this? You know, Nadal entering Grand Garros with no warm-up on clay and only... Um, what, uh, two matches this year against Jack Draper and um, Mackenzie McDonald? Uh,
0: Yeah, he
1: had some... Oh, United Cup as well. well. Yeah, yeah, so with uh, basically with only one win uh, in the year. uh, It's it's really difficult to say um, because of course we... um, yeah we we see something here and there some some content he 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 shares to to stay in contact with the fans but it's we we clearly don't really know uh, uh how well he's uh, he's progressing uh, i i to be honest i also feel like i don't really know how to um, to trust, for example, Moya when he told. Uh, so it's it's really really a tricky, uh, tricky situation, and it's really difficult to make some some kind of prediction. Of course, I think that given uh, what Roland Garros means to him, also uh, at this particular stage of his career. Uh, getting getting older, I I think that he he would love to be there. I think even with no matches at all on clay, because you know uh, the opportunities are uh, are not so high anymore uh, to play this event in which he he made the history of tennis. And uh, but of course we we need to find out how. His recovery is progressing because, yeah, he's he's uh, training, but uh, it's it's not enough uh, to to say, and it's really really uh, tricky to to try to make some kind of prediction about his his schedule. Uh, yeah, he it hasn't happened since two thousand and one that he he hasn't played. Uh, a clay match at all, uh, at all prof- professional tennis level before Roland Garros. So uh, it it seems like uh, a catastrophic event, and I, I really don't know because I um, I'm not in the position to to even to trust uh, what uh, what it's been said. Uh, by his team and the people around him, because the, I I think there are also a lot of, uh, I would say, press games, because, uh, I mean, uh, so it's really difficult. I, I really don't know to um, I struggle to to say if he's going to be there in Paris or not, even if I believe that he he would love to be there, even with no matches uh, played on clay.
0: I think I'll believe that Nadal is going to be playing the French Open when he's actually playing his first round. Until then, I really can't say, to be honest, because it's like, um, yeah, I mean, as Mario said, it's like so unprecedented that he's ever been, that he hasn't played a... Rome since 2000. He hasn't missed Rome since 2004, and right? he hasn't played any bit of play since the French since 2001. But um, yeah,
2: but like he first played the French in 2005, right? so <laughs> No.
0: Oh, I mean, like, but till this point in the year, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, it, I just, I just found this yeah, that funny when I, when I saw it on Twitter. Well, I, I think it's a little misleading, you know. But yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: but like, I mean, yeah, like, and then also like what his draw will be like you know maybe he could use the first two rounds to work his way into form and then he doesn't need a whole lot of reps these days in terms of in terms of match play I mean the last three or four years it's not like he's dominated the Masters events leading up to the French The last year he did that was 2018 I mean and since 2019 he's won Roland Garros three times and he's won Rome once Rome twice I guess 2019 and 2021 but I mean, even in those situations, he had at least five matches going in last year and at least he had the confidence from winning Australia and winning uh, Acapulco and like starting the season on a 20-match win streak. So it's kind of tough to know. And I also wonder if he'll actually like play it, if he knows that he is like not ready to win the thing. Like, is he actually going to enter and play it? Or is, is he going to look at it more as like uh, a lead-in to potentially playing the grass and being like healthy enough to play Wimbledon? Because maybe in several years gone by he hasn't, you know, had the the preparation and confidence coming into Wimbledon because he's gone so deep at rolling Heroes that, you know, it's not as much of a priority. I mean, is it even a priority at this point? And how does he view the French Open? Does he view it as like, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna be back here, so I might as well just do everything I can to play, even if it means I lose before the quarters? Or uh, does he actually really believe that he can win the French Open and I guess maybe the only positive from his statement was that uh, his, his treatment is progressing in the right direction, but I don't know if that's enough. Like, you know, hopefully like he started training because if he hasn't tried training now, then it's like, you know, it's, we're approaching 20 days till the main draw starts. So it's really difficult to know because it's not like, you know, we haven't.
2: I think there's been some photos or something of him training, right? Like someone was in the academy. Um, yeah. yeah so like he is training but of course we don't really know to which to which extent um, yeah i mean i honestly don't really believe in him winning round garros at this point it it sounds very far-fetched that he would get himself to you know, just by playing a few <laughs> matches there he would get himself to a stage where he could beat Alcaraz or djokovic in a best of five there Sounds really um, um yeah, it's almost impossible right now, oh, yeah, do you so, think he's the so
0: type of player that would go in knowing that and play it anyway, or would he
2: it's the most important event, so so that kind of changes it all, right, right, like if it was Wimbledon, like he's not gonna be looking at the grass season, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like I don't if, think so, if, yeah like he that's not really going to be something that he's gonna be uh, you know he's gonna have in mind like i have to be prepared for that no like i guess if he doesn't play the french open then it kind of gives us the certainty that he's gonna still be active until the next french open at least because yeah. i feel like that's where it would make the most sense to to say goodbye and like he needs to play it one more time like there's just no way i think that nadal retires without just showing up at the french uh, unless he would, like, be really, really, really forced to, like, you know, I don't know, Federer just playing that one Liverpool Cup match instead of even what about showing the, up in Basel, right?
0: What about the Olympics next year? How did uh,
2: pff, he I don't wanted. know. It, it, it's tough to say. Like, for me, it wouldn't be a priority at all, I think, in his position. Yeah, like, he's already won it. Um, hmm in tennis it's not that important anyway of course if you're like just an individual athlete olympics can be huge for you either way uh but like if you've already won it i don't know but but yeah it's it's all just guesswork really what we're doing here and um, i I kind of
0: hope it's not like a federer situation you know where mm -hmm. like yeah he played that match against sangren in the 2020 australian open quarterfinal and struggled and then you know was like okay i'm gonna come back by Wimbledon, and then COVID happened, and then he was like, I'm going to come back in 2021 by the Australian Open, and then he kept sort of pushing his start date, and he's like, no, I'm not ready, I'm not ready yet, not ready, and then we saw him play like 13 more matches, and then that was basically it, the the Wimbledon quarterfinal against Hurkacz, that was the last official match, if you take out Labour Cup. So I hope this isn't the case with Rafa, and it's actually, you know, a more gradual end.
2: And labor was... Cup two thousand twenty three retirement <laughs> Nadal fe- playing Federer in doubles uh, playing with Federer in doubles this time Nadal it's, it's Nadal. I don't retired, know. It would be
0: kind of sad if we look back at the Wimbledon win over Fritz, and then that becomes like the quarterfinal that Federer had with Sandy And I hope that's not the case. Yeah,
2: but I mean, he would he would end his career on a on a win, right? Or I guess or... so. No, I did he. um because he would. You know, I mean, yeah. he wouldn't, right? Because he played after that, uh, of yeah. course, the, the US Open and since um, yeah. so, he, and but so he would actually ended on a three set loss to Mackenzie McDonald, which uh, would be quite wild for sure. It would be like uh, I don't know Baghdadis ending uh, Agassi's career. No, it was Benjamin Becker actually. Agassi beat Baghdadis and yeah. Uh, yeah. Benjamin Becker ending ending Agassi, Agassi, Agassi's career. Yeah, anyway, um, let's maybe just for a brief moment, usually we're just um, going for the, like, recaps, uh, reviews here. uh, But, of course, we can also just for, like, five minutes maybe finish this off with just talking about who we think is winning Rome, um, not maybe going that deep into it. But is it really just a question of Alcaraz or Djokovic? I
0: don't know, actually. You know, maybe Alcaraz... Might have a bit of a letdown this week, but I'm looking at his draw, and I'm not really seeing too many problems. Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, his draw looks pretty decent. Uh, Tsitsipas in the quarters, but like uh, you know, that's been a decent matchup for him right now. And uh, Sinner, I'm looking at potentially a Sinner bounce back after missing Madrid. Um, he has the crowd in Rome, so maybe hopefully we see Djokovic versus Sinner in the semis. And the, the big question mark is, is how is Djokovic really? Like, uh, how close to his best will we see Djokovic in Rome? Because he hasn't ever lost before the quarterfinals. And he's made the finals here 12 times and won it six times. And he's generally been, like, one of his most successful events. So I'm curious to see. And then I think Runa is in Djokovic's section. So I hope we get that match. Sorry, but
2: I have to mention this. Djokovic lost in the, in the qualifying in 2006.
0: To Fanini, right yes okay but i should have said since
2: 2007 no but no yeah. but you know <laughs> i you know i have to do it um, it's yeah. it's not a dig at you i actually didn't By the know. Way, yeah, I never Funini lost before that. The first
0: round, so that should be, um, this should be interesting
2: i never i never knew that um, he actually never lost before the quarters here which is probably like an insane record right like i, I doubt yeah. any of the big 3 have it at any other masters event
0: yeah, apart from I think maybe Rafa and Monte Carlo.
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But um yeah, the, I guess the loss to Fonini was in the semis. Yeah, may, may, yeah maybe, in the maybe semis. Nadal could maybe Nadal yeah. could have it. Um as well, right? But that's that's a that's a good start.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, you know Djokovic Center and Rome would be cool and Djokovic Runa. Uh the Medvedev sitsipas the Medvedev section might be very open. That's where we might see a new yeah. quarter
1: yeah,
0: Medvedev has a nightmare draw. Yeah, his draw is tough. And actually, so is so is Rublev's. Rublev versus Fokina in round three. Winner to play maybe Fritz round four. That's not so easy even to get to a potential quarter with Medvedev.
2: Yeah. I don't really, frankly, like treat Rublev here as a potential contender. Sorry. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I agree that I think that Alcaraz, like the, the physical and mental toll... Yeah. Could be pretty huge on him at some point, uh but the the, the sort of problem he that I have is, until
0: like Saturday or Friday. So yeah, cool but just
2: you know, just, just just playing these two events, I I think it's still pretty huge. But um, just, I think still winning like Barcelona, Madrid, um, Rome, Paris, back to back. uh Well, with the with the one week break, of course, Lyon, and Geneva. But I I think it's still really tough, just from a. Um, sort of accumulated yeah. fatigue, but also yeah, mentally perspective. But um, I do agree with you that there's like no one in his draw that I, I'm he could really be afraid of. Like when it, when I'm looking at the at the draw, I have no clue who could throw him out. I just like have a feeling that maybe at some point it will be just too much. And as I said earlier, like at the beginning of the show, I don't think it would really set and you know be a setback in yeah. whatsoever, literally. So. Um, yeah, Djokovic—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a big question mark, but he's probably the one who needs this this more, and yeah, has this excellent record. And I actually just checked it, and Nadal lost in the Monte Carlo third round once. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, it it would seem awesome. that out of the big three. Um, that Djokovic is the only one to have this sort of a feat, which is insane. And Nadal in 2003 lost in uh, Monte Carlo. Well, in one, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, to 2005, G- 2000,
0: whatever, 21. I don't think he lost before. Come again, sorry? 2005 to 2021. I don't think. Yeah,
2: that's that's his only one, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think he also had just, um, should... I had it just a second ago, but I think he also lost only once at like um, at like something else, uh, probably Madrid or Rome uh, before the quarters. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, that's that, that's a pretty amazing record. Djokovic has just little bit brought down by that qualifying loss, but still absurd to to never go out before the quarterfinals in one event. Um, every time you played the main draw in like sixteen attempts or something. Um, yeah, and
0: Nadal, John is asking about Schwarzman. Yeah, that was the quarters, 2020 uh, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. 2020 yeah. was quarters, quarter final, and last year was third round.
0: Oh, last year, yeah, chapeau.
2: Yeah, and and Federer never really came close to something like this because at the beginning of his career, he has a lot of early exits, and right. um, so yeah, Djokovic is is the only one to have this uh, this thing if we uh, forget about the qualifying for a moment. Uh but but yeah, uh, Alcaraz's draw definitely looks pretty good. So uh, maybe he can actually go. Um
0: would you be interested in Ramos Vigilas versus Alcaraz again? I,
2: I know what you mean. Um second but round Garas last level year. Level
0: yeah,
2: his form is just absurdly poor, so I don't really think so. Uh I don't think this is really possible anymore. It was last year for sure. Um but you know, they, they, they've they kind of the, the trajectories of their careers have definitely gone separate ways since. So, um, I wouldn't really be interested in this. I would be interested in Djokovic playing Vavrinka in the third round. We oh. were so close to getting it in I mean, uh, never, yeah, but I mean, I was excited didn't. about that
0: one last year, but Vavrinka mm. was just coming back from his thing, and it was a two and two match for Novak.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Vavrinka is so much better right now. So um, it could yeah. get tricky. He, he hasn't but, really gotten the wins, but he has played Rublev close. He has played Fritz close. Yeah. Um, and who does he
0: need? To, he probably needs to beat Dimitrov to yeah. get
2: uh, Djokovic. Yeah. Um, yeah and Dimitrov like someone in the first round, which I think is Ivashka. Okay. And, uh, and Ivashka and Dimitrov, I think. And Djokovic needs to beat Vanash or Echeveri, which should be um, easy, provided he's not looking like in Monte Carlo, where he was really struggling with that elbow. Um, then it might get tricky. Of course, he also lost a set to Vanash in belgrade uh, Luka. I wanted to say Belgrade. Okay. Uh, yes, Rune and Oldman Stan are on the same side of the draw, but it's going to be a struggle for them to meet since um, they, well, Vavrinka would have to get through Djokovic. The um, Lajovic versus
0: Tsitsipas could get interesting. That's
2: one i definitely had circled yeah it, it should be quite watchable and Sitsipas doesn't seem like a wall that's impossible to <laughs> know, a move right now um generally not not ultra convincing so yeah
0: um
2: there could be there could be a chance there for sure um yeah, and I guess that's that's really where we could end it, right? Uh, we've talked about Madrid, we've talked about all the best performers there, uh, we've talked about the biggest news off court, which was probably Nadal withdrawing out of Rome. Um, any finishing thoughts, guys?
1: Well, answering to John, I'm yeah, mm-hmm. I <laughs> I I'm going to watch some qualifying matches and and some training sessions
2: chapeau is he asking about what chapeau was quarterfinal uh round four when he when he what played natal yeah last year uh last year but um the round four didn't exist yet right so Interesting. Um, in rome so yeah. yeah so it was round three um anyway yeah um i guess that's uh, that's it then and we're gonna be back in a week to talk about um the events of rome as they're unfolding uh, we'll see how you know what day it is because last last time we actually did it on a saturday for example when the when the full round two was done but you know we're gonna figure this out later of course uh, subscribe both so we can get to 2000 but also so you can actually uh, like find out when the streams are and be prepared uh thanks for all the activity in the chat as well and of course big thanks to the guys that were here today with uh well with me was mario who is always always here but also with Vanj who was here with us um, like- i sort of uh, i see that i sort of like took over as uh you know took over the hosting for some reason and um it kind of got to me in where i was like thanking mario for being here and and etc i mean uh, thank you mario for being here but of course you're like the uh one of the main stars of this uh, <laughs> weekly show so um yeah Anyway, um, yeah, I guess this is this is it for for John to to end this meeting, unless you guys have like any last minute. Any last minute, no, minute to no, I, I
1: have four hours to sleep, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, me too, because I want to watch um Chong Utiyama in Busan. Uh, so yeah, I have a I have an alarm clock set up for like five hours from here from here. So um let's um let's try to wake up Mario and Vanj probably isn't going to bed for like a couple more hours at least. <laughs> it's like four thirty yeah. here, yeah. At <laughs> yeah. least for me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks again and see you guys soon. See you.
1: If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.